0: الحمد لله الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لولا ان هدانا الله واشهد ان لا اله الله له له وَلَهُ الْمُلْكُ يُحْيِي وَيُمِيدُ بِيَدِهِ الْخَيْرِ وَهُوَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٍ وَأَشْهَدُ أن مُحَمَّدًا عَبْدُ اللَّهِ وَرَسُولُهُ وَصَفِيُّهُ وَخَلِيلُهُ ارْسَلَ اللَّهُ لِلنَّاسِ نَذِيرًا وَبَشِيرًا لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنَةٌ لِمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُو اللَّهَ وَالْيَوْمَ الْآخِرَ وَذَكَرَ اللَّهَ كَثِيرًا مُحَمَّدٌ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ والذين معه أشداء على الكفار رحماء بينهم من يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فقد رشد ومن يعص الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فقد ضل ضلالا بعيدا وصيكم ونفسي اولا بتقوى الله وطاعته واحذركم من عصيانه ومخالفه امره اما بعد فان خير الحديث كتاب الله واحسن الحديث حديث محمد وَشَرُّ الْأُمُورِ مُحْدَثَاتُهَا وَكُلُّ مُحْدَثَةٍ بِدْعَةٍ وَكُلُّ بِدْعَةٍ ضَلَالَةٍ وَكُلُّ ضَلَالَةٍ فِي النَّارِ يقول الله عز وجل وَهُوَ أَصْدَقُ الْقَائِلِينَ فِي كِتَابِهِ الْكَرِيمِ Bashiril Munafi بأن لهم عذاباً lahum الذين يتخذون الكافرين أولياء yet دون al عندهم العزة، فإن العزة لله جميعاً. Brothers and sisters committed Muslims.
1: These ayat are from Surah An-Nisa Ayah numbers 137 through 139. Roughly translated they mean Behold those who make a secure commitment Allah, and then deny Allah, and then go back and make a secure commitment to Allah, and then once again deny Allah, and then remain stubborn in their denial of Him. Allah will in no way forgive them, and He will not guide them upon a straight path. And announce to the allegiance betrayers that there is readied for them a painful torment. For these are the ones who would take the deniers of Allah in preference to the committed Muslims as their allies. Hoping to secure a degree of honor with these deniers of Allah, when indeed it is Allah alone who gives honor and who honors validation. In the conditions of the world that we Muslims find ourselves in, in conditions that we have to endure, it would be instructive to remind ourselves of these ayat, that there are amongst us traitors, Turncoats, sellouts, betrayers who would rather sell their soul than to close ranks with other Muslims and sell their souls to those who are considered to be the existential enemies. Of those who love Allah's Prophet and those who love Allah. For these ayat go over some of the characteristics of Nifaq or some of the characteristics that belong to those who are referred to as Al Munafiqeen. One of their characteristics As this ayah designates Is that they bounce back and forth Between a public commitment to Allah And a private commitment to kufr And it is it is this bouncing back and forth Between a superficial Im- iman And a died in the wool kufr. It is this back and forth that leads to a type of escalation which intensifies their kufr. Nifaq or dual loyalty. A loyalty, a public loyalty to Allah but a private loyalty to kufr. Nifaq is the failure of the human will to stand up for truth and justice in the face of tyranny and oppression. For certainly a bona fide commitment to Allah, a secure commitment to Allah, will take its bearer into circumstances that court death. But a superficial commitment to Allah, the type of commitment displayed by the munafiqeen. A superficial commitment is what devolves into cowardice, and it devolves into a type of pandering to those who consider themselves to be rivals to Allah's authority and power on Earth. Notice how one of these ayat begin. بَشِّرِ الْمُنَافِقِينَ أَنَّ لَهُمْ بِأَنَّ لَهُمْ عَذَابًا أَلِيمًا This word بَشِّر, it means give the good news. But how is it possible to give good news of a painful torment? It seems like a contradiction in terms. If I was to tell you that you're going to be tortured, that's not good news. But nonetheless, that's what the ayah says and it uses seemingly contradictory terms to describe a contradictory psychology in these munafiqeen for they feign a ritual Islam if you look at them it appears on the face of it that they're Muslims but you don't know what's going on inside And what reveals that which is going on inside is a power imbalance where the odds, the worldly odds are stacked against the committed Muslims. And when you see a situation like that, where the pendulum of power is swinging against the Muslims, That is the situation that reveals the true character of the munafiqeen. There are perhaps scores of ayat in the Quran that describe the fact that the physical presence of these characters is with the Muslims. But their psychological character is with the kuffar. Their rituals may be with the Muslims. But the way that they make their decisions, the way that they give their allegiance, the way that they decide on who to side with, all of that is determined by the kuffar in the world, the rivals to Allah's power.
0: And these, these Kafirs,
1: the deniers of Allah's authority, the rejecters of His power, these Kafirs come in all shapes and sizes. But what binds them together is that they represent a political and ideological opposition to Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam At the time of Allah's prophet this political and ideological opposition was coming from the yahud the zionists of that day And brothers and sisters I'm not quoting these ayats to go over history For as you listen to these ayats and whatever explanation is being given, your mind ought to be working to equate the nature of those ayat and the words of those ayat with the facts of life on the ground today. For the power culture at the time of Allah's Prophet wasallam that formed an ideological opposition to the expansion of Allah's deen on earth. That political and ideological opposition was centered in the Yahud. And the political and ideological opposition to the truth in today's world is also centered in that same community. And so these words are current. They do not only have a historical impact. And if you find it hard to equate those historical words with the dynamics on the ground today, then I'm sorry that you are having a hard time equating the guidance that you ought to be applying in the world today that came to you 1400 years ago. Even at that time, there were ritual first Muslims who were beating a path to these Yahud. readying themselves to display their subservient credentials in the face of Yahudi power. And these meetings between these munafiqs and the Yahud of that day, they took place in secret. There was a lot of cunning involved in arranging the timing of these meetings. But there was only one thing that they discussed in these meetings, just As the imperialists and Zionists today, there is only one thing that they are concerned about in their private meetings. And that is how to undermine the emerging justice and truth that comes with this deen. How to undermine the central leadership role of Allah's Prophet and the inheritors of that role in our world today. But ultimately what it came down to with regard to these munafiqs is that they had a misplaced recognition of the application and the ownership of power and pride. They thought that power and pride and glory belongs to whatever temporal power culture exists in in the day. And they failed to recognize that pride and power belong unconditionally and absolutely to Allah. And that was their fundamental failure. And they always ended up taking the wrong side then, and today they're taking the wrong side. But as I said just a little bit earlier, these ayat mean absolutely nothing until they help us understand the facts of life on the ground today. These ayat should not be suspended between an abstract that belongs to our imagination and a reality that we feel comfortable withdrawing from. These words are real. They are describing and helping us understand the dynamics in our world today. The political dynamics, the ideological dynamics, the military dynamics, and the economic dynamics. And the actors in this script Though their names may have changed, their identity is one and the same. For there was an Arabian nifaq that was subservient to an ideological power culture in that day. And today, there is an Arabian nifaq that is subservient to the ideological power culture today. And so if the nifaq, at that time, could be identified, why is it so hard for us to identify and point to the nifaq today? Let us go over a little bit of history. And this is history that perhaps all of us, or perhaps Most of us can remember, for it is only four decades ago. But it sort of sets the stage for what you see happening in your real world right now. The players then belonged to the the Royal Arabians of the Gulf, and the inheritors of the Royal Arabians today, are playing out the same script. And so if you can understand what happened four decades ago, you can understand what's happening today. And obviously all within the context of these ayat. Back in the 1980s, these royals were proving their subservient credentials to imperialism and Zionism. not by their rituals but by their policy decisions by their running to the imperialists and Zionists for protection any time the committed Muslims raise their voices about injustice some of you may recall that during the Reagan Bush years from 1980 through 1990 there was this incident that occurred with the so-called Contras. This was a paramilitary counterinsurgency that was set up by the White House to overthrow the elected Sandinista government in Nicaragua. And so the warlords in Washington, they had a problem. How are we going to finance an illegal activity? We, after all, are the citadel of democracy and freedom and liberty. And here we are trying to overthrow a democratically elected government. We can't be seen doing something like that. So how are we going to finance this terrorist outfit that's going to overthrow an elected government? And so they call on their subservient vassals who were too eager to help. At that time, it was the father of the current Saudi ambassador to the United States. He was often called Bandar Bush. So they called on their vassals that they knew were full of cash. And they said, what can you do for us? And being all too eager to help, they came in and offered $1 million a month to send to the Contras. In addition to that, they set up an $8 million slush fund in a Swiss bank that could be accessed by these terrorists that were called a counterinsurgency outfit. And all told, at the end of this whole conflict, which almost brought down an entire U.S. presidency, they gave $32 million. But that was not enough. Also during those years, there was a first Gulf War. in which the combination of all these Taghut and Kuffar tried to destroy the Islamic revolution in Islamic Iran. In fact the financial contribution was so huge at the time to the tune of one billion dollars a month, today there would be something On the order of over 20 billion dollars a month. Or perhaps more than that. But at the time, The Reagan regime right here in Washington, Put pressure on its subservient proxies in Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, And Egypt. To send US arms to Iraq. So that the combination of these people, the Gulf Arabian monarchies, the Israelis, the Americans, the Europeans, and even the Soviet Union, all of them got together, even with the use of chemical weapons, to at least try to cripple, or even to undermine and overthrow the Islamic revolution in Iran.
0: But they failed.
1: They failed to such an extent, that this failure is what led to Saddam Hussein's invasion of Kuwait. For this eight year war, not only did it consume the lives of some one million young men on both sides of the conflict, But it left a lot of territorial and infrastructure destruction in the cities of those two countries. And so Saddam Hussein, he asked, or he demanded from these Gulf monarchies, I fought this war for eight years for you guys. And now I need money to reconstruct my country. They want to have nothing to do with it. They washed their hands clean. We are not going to give you any money to reconstruct your country. They were all too ready to give billions of dollars to destroy. But they were not ready to give a penny to reconstruct. And this is another one of the characteristics of Nifaq. That it would leverage any and all resources for the purpose of destruction. But when it comes to the purpose of construction and to build, they're all out of resources what are they saying today with regard regard to all of the havoc that they have created and caused in North Africa and the Muslim East they're saying that those people have to pay with their own oil revenue to reconstruct their societies they didn't destroy their own societies There were missiles and bombs manufactured in other parts of the world that destroyed their societies. There were real policies that destroyed their societies. There were real strategies that destroyed their societies. And because they don't have any power in the world, they can't leverage anything in terms of resources to come and rebuild their societies.
0: A la deena yet to
1: chiduna kafirin auliaa men duna almu minin ayabetaguna عند humul izah fa inna l izata lillahi jamiyah. A cool wa staghfirullah wa lakum. Fastaghfiru hugh, you're fier lickum. Fastur shidu hugh, shidkum.
0: Alhamdulillah, ala Let's
1: bring this notion of nifaq into even more focus With what's going on right now What we described happened 40 years ago But it established a basis for what's happening right now this person by the name of Dr. Mike Evans he is the founder of the Friends of Zion Heritage Center he recently had a meeting with the Crown Prince of that family which is occupying oh. Mecca and Al-Madinah Now first of all, before I get into the gist of their conversation, let me ask you, is it possible for somebody like you and me to go and have a discussion with the Crown Prince of Arabia? Even if you wanted to give him good counsel about adjusting his behavior, is it possible for any one of us? regardless of our credentials to go and have a meeting with him but yet you have the founder of the Friends of Zion Heritage Center just has to press press a button and the prince is ready to have a meeting so anyway they have this meeting and this person comes out and he describes what they talked about And obviously he has no reason to lie because you know this is something that supports his biases and so in that situation you really have no reason to lie and so he comes out and he says and he's talking to uh, a conference a yearly conference of the Jerusalem Post so basically, he's probably talking to a large number of non-Muslims, many of whom probably happen to be Jewish. And so he comes out and he tells this audience that you would be surprised at how these royal figures in Saudi Arabia feel about you. said, so you'd be really surprised because... When we talked, I became aware of the fact that these royals, that they fervently support Israel a lot more than most Jews. This is Dr. Mike Evans talking. He's saying that these royals, and especially MBS, that they have a more fervent support for Israel than most Jews. And so then this Mr. Evans, this Dr. Evans asked MBS, How do you feel about Christians and Jews? So MBS says why I love them. So he says why? He says well my mother was a Jewish evangelical So, Dr. Evans says well, she says, well, I find that hard to believe. So he said, no, not my biological mother. But the woman who raised me, the house director that my father chose, when I was a very young person, that house director was an Ethiopian evangelical Jew. Sort of reminds you, in our history, some 1400 years ago, about one of the sons of Muawiyah that was raised by a Christian. he went on his army went on to give the shahada to imam hussein alayhi salatu and so then he asks him dr evans asks mbs what should the palestinians do so mbs says copy israel the Palestinians should copy Israel. Brothers and sisters, I'm sorry to have to live in a day in which this level of nifaq perhaps has not been exceeded in our entire history. Where this level of treachery, Perhaps treachery with a ferocity. I'm sorry to live in a day where we have to witness something like this. And now it has become official. And flags are flying in front of these buildings. There's an official Saudi Embassy in Tel Aviv and there is an official Israeli embassy in Al-Riyadh the same people who were trying to gin up a provocation for war in the 1980's those same people are around today trying to do the same thing and by now I'm sure all of you have heard and you've read the news of a US drone being shot down by Islamic Iran. And I'm sure that you've read all the news about how this information is being presented. (coughs) But some of the things that you may not have read (coughs) is that this drone took off from a US base in the United Arab Emirates. On top of that, this drone was accompanied by a surveillance airplane that had 35 people on board. And both the drone and the surveillance aircraft violated Iranian airspace. They have no reason to lie in this regard. They're not looking to pick a fight with the United States or with anybody else. But on the other side, yes, you know that the United States, backed up by provocation from Arabia and from Israel, is looking to pick a fight, is looking for a war with Islamic Iran. And so I'm saying that Islamic Iran has no reason to lie about this. So there were 35 people on board that surveillance aircraft. The drone was unmanned. And Islamic Iran says that it gave them warnings. Several warnings before it shot a missile to to shoot the drone down. Now Islamic Iran also said that it could have shot down the airplane with 35 people on board. But it refused to do that because it did not want casualties to complicate an already precarious situation. Besides that, and I don't know if you've heard this or not, The drone and the surveillance aircraft turned off their transponders. This is a violation of international aviation regulations. And also whenever an aircraft intentionally turns off its transponder, this is a universal signal that that airborne vehicle is doing something suspicious. And there are yet more facts that are going to come out, more details that are going to come out about this incident, provided that it doesn't launch the itchy trigger trigger finger of the guy in the White House. And lastly, The cost of that drone is a hundred million dollars. And it appears that in order to incite a provocation for war, a hundred million dollars doesn't mean a thing to the warmongers. For them it's not even a drop in the bucket. They know that they're not paying for them, for for this hundred million dollars out of their tax pocket is coming out of the future earnings of American taxpayers. So they don't care. And these are the ones in the White House that are supposed to be the ones that are fiscally responsible. They talk about fiscal responsibility all the time. How are we going to pay for this? How are we going to pay for that? And here's a hundred million dollars that they decided to sacrifice on a provocation to war. And obviously, it's not the first hundred million dollars, and it's not the first billion dollars that they choose for such provocations. Because they know it's not coming out of their pockets. It's coming out of the pockets of the gullible American. The American who's busy on Facebook, who's busy in a whole bunch of other distracting ventures, that they can't pay attention to those who are leeching their own economy. And not only was this drone cannon fodder What about those 35 people that are sitting on board the surveillance aircraft that violated the airspace of an independent country What about them Are they just bait Do their lives mean nothing to the White House Did their lives mean nothing to Washington do their lives mean nothing to the United States? Obviously, their lives mean nothing to imperialism and Zionism. Because the ones who are pushing the buttons, they're not out doing the fighting. They're not they're the ones who are creating the conflict where others fight, where mostly you and I are the ones who die. And where their own come back maim. And so when election time comes around, they'll make a big hoo-ha about the veterans and uh, that they care for them and blah, blah, blah. And that they don't want any more foreign wars. And when the elections are over, it's back to the same old script. Brothers and sisters, that's why these ayat ought to mean something to us. There is no way on earth, none whatsoever, that it would be possible to invent a provocation to war were it not for these munafiqs who are in positions of rule, who are allying with the existential enemies of the Muslims. There is no way on earth that imperialism and Zionism could get away with what it's getting away with had they not these allies in the Muslim world. These allies that control the masajid. These allies that control our community centers. These allies that control the narrative that gets dispensed inside of these masajid. Were it not for these types of people, then the muslims would not be walking out of these masajid with dead minds and dead hearts it's only left to people out on the street to acquaint the muslims with what is going on in their real lives how they're setting up another muslim country with over 80 million people for the kind of tragedies that they've that they've foisted on syria on Libya, on Somalia, on Lebanon, and a whole host of other countries across the world. That is supposed to be the function of these massages. They are supposed to alert us to what's coming. They're supposed to alert us to what's going down. They are supposed to put us on the ready. But they've abdicated that function to CNN, to the White House, to 10 Downing Street, to Riyadh, and to other such places in the world. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan wazukna Tiba. wa arina al-ba'atila b'atila wazukna ajtinaabah Allahumma ghafir lil-mu'minina wal-mu'minat al-ahyai minhum wal amwat innaka qareebun sami'un wajibu da'awaat Allahumma rabbana atina fi dunya hasanah wa fil akhirati hasanah wa qina'adhaab al-naar
0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لَفِي في خسر إلا الذين آمنوا عمل الصالحات وتواسوا بالحق وتواسوا بالصبر ومن أظلم مِمَّنْ من منع مساجد
1: الله أن يذكر في حسمه وَسَعَى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا
0: خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم عباد الله ان الله يأمر بالعدل والاحسان وايتاء ذي القربى وينها عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي لعلكم تذكرون ولا ذكر الله اكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون واقم